You're listening to the Kingdom Project Podcast. These are discussions on biblical theology and interpretation. The emphasis is on context and grace. The goal is to promote biblical literacy by displacing and debunking most modern interpretations. The challenge is to engage in healthy conversation that may stretch, but sharpen iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. So we went through uh, Hebrews chapter 8 last week. We went through all that. It was 13 verses. And we so we start 9 today, and we're going to go... Verses 1 through 12. Um, 12 will, you know, it's sort of like 11, 12, I think, and 14. Let me see. Grab my Bible there. Yeah. Yeah, like 11 sort of starts anew if you go by your Bibles and how we've divided them, you know. Um, But we're going to stop at 12, which will sort of seem like we're just stopping right there, but needed to get 11 and 12 in to sort of conclude this section and then to, to move forward into 13 and on for next week. So Hebrews 9 continues then the context that's already been laid out. Obviously, this is all in context, but the, what has been laid out in uh, chapter 8 regarding the Old Covenant all right, so we've seen the contrast, and we're like, this is better. Like, hey, the point is this, that Jesus, the high priest, and the new covenant, all right? So uh, the author's reminding the Hebrews that the old covenant had made provisions for the religious activity, right? Like, uh, in, within the physical realm for them as a people, the nation of Israel, so he's going to remark on the Old Testament tabernacle, okay? And we'll examine the function that the priests had in the tabernacle and illustrates the role of the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the tabernacle. So if you don't know a lot about the tabernacle, I'm going to try to explain. I am going to go that. I'm going that route to explain some of the stuff, like the furniture within it and all that. All right. We we talked a little bit last week about the veil and how the priest could only go once a year into where the ark was, and that's where the presence, like the Shekinah glory, would would appear. And it was only that one one day out of the year, and then everybody else was blocked from it. That veil's been torn now, obviously. So you have to understand this. The types, you know, the pictures that all these things were were pointing towards Christ. So he he wants them to know and us that the tabernacle was temporary. All right, it was a typical, and it was full of uh, you know types. It was an illustration, and he encourages the Hebrew believers to move on from that, not go back to it. So he continues to build on that Old Testament evidence, which prepares us to see the superiority of the new covenant. Okay. 
and it's really important like it's important to know all this you you need to know the stuff how the tabernacle was set we need to know the function we need to know what happened um, but I've said it a lot of times before for some reason a lot of people like to just stay always like in the Old Testament after they've come to Christ and they know the new they stay in the old and that can sometimes that brings confusion I think it can bring a, a, it's a mixture of law and grace and because pe- people go back to the religious system uh, they go back to the traditional types of things they want uh, they want to have a, a physical mediator they want to have some sort of a uh, thing that they do that's besides communion you know communion's a new this new testament thing that jesus was like hey this is the new covenant but uh they want to go back and focus really a lot like on the words and the meanings and how all this stuff happened forgetting that we've already received the substance <laughs> you know what i mean so there's zionism there's uh, uh hebrew roots people there are uh, people who are like well the the jews uh, they were the chosen people so we should go back and then go and do these things as well and it's like well but that's all gone <laughs> the new testament's clear especially in hebrews so anyway we've already seen the first covenant from last week right it was not faultless right and it was obsolete it's about to vanish away now here in the beginning of chapter 9 it's it's its weaknesses and its limitations are to be seen more clearly so the writer begins with a contrast of the mosaic covenant and the new covenant in verse 1 and much like last week i'm just going to go verse by verse even if it's mid-sentence so verse 1 it says now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness so this big this begins by saying that the first covenant had had both the regulation of worship and this earthly sanctuary uh, both of which are are going to be expounded on so he's stressing that its rites and ceremonies were instituted by god it was not man's inventions all right it was by divine revelation Uh, And and the earthly sanctuary was the key to that Mosaic covenant. All right. The earthly is physical with physical instructions of worship. So during the fulfillment of the old covenant, the spirit of God was manifested in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was under. Like if you know about the Ark, the cherubim and all that. But today... Right? He resides within everyone, the Holy Spirit does. He's within everyone who comes to believe in the person and the work of Jesus. And that's important because it indicates a marked change on the focal point of worship. And it's bringing it from the physical to the spiritual. Verse 2, For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand, and the table and the bread of the presence, it is called the holy place. All right, so the tent, right? The tent or the tabernacle. It, it's all, it was a portrait of Jesus. All right, we only, and it's so important. It's so important to, to see how rigid and perfect all this had to be because we, we, only, have, we only have two chapters in Scripture uh, that describes the creation of the world, right? 
and the universe and all that's within the earth and humanity. We only have two chapters in Scripture on that. But we have 50 chapters that talk about the tabernacle and all the furniture in which it contains. Okay, So we have this lampstand this, and the table and the bread of the pre- presence. There are these... They're, they're supposed to replicate the reality that was to come. And this text says there was a first section, which is the outer part, all right, because this is a picture of these uh, two tents. The first is the outer tabernacle where the furniture sat. And the tabernacle was this, this huge tent, and it had this courtyard that was 150 feet long and 75 feet wide. Okay, it's located on uh, the east side and there was this single gate which was 30 feet wide seven and a half feet high and this this even is a picture it's a picture of jesus who said i am the way i am the door all right Uh, uh, there there was only one door to the tabernacle there's only one door to god it's through jesus okay so just imagine as we enter we enter into the gate it's into the courtyard. We come first of all to the brazen altar. Okay, and this altar, it was made of this acacia wood. It was overlaid with bronze. It was seven and a half feet square, stood four and a half feet off the ground. On the top above uh, the coals uh, was a brass grate. And this is where the sacrifice would be placed. All right, each corner had a, a, a horn to which the animal was, was bound to when being sacrificed. So the bronze altar is also a, pic, a picture of Jesus because he was a sacrifice for sin, right? And then there's a laver. This laver it was made of bronze. It allowed the priest to wash his hands and his feet as he went about the bloody work of the sacrifice. Uh, the services of the sacrifice. And again, a picture of Jesus who cleanses us, right? He is the cleanser of his people. Then you come to what you would call tabernacle proper, all right? Its dimensions are 45 feet long, 15 feet wide, 15 feet high. Uh, The holy place took up two-thirds of it, which meant that the Holy of Holies was a perfect 15-foot cube. Now, if you know anything about that, Revelation talks about this perfect 15-foot cube coming down, the new, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven and earth, which would be then, <laughs> it's us. But if we were priests, we would find three pieces of furniture then, okay? Everything in the outer pictured salvation and cleansing of sins. And it separated the sinner on the outside from all that was within So the door of the tabernacle was entered to worship God, but only after you could make the proper offerings could you enter that tabernacle of worship. So the golden lampstand, it represents Christ, okay? Not not as just the light of the world, but light of life. It's only for the believer that Jesus illuminates the mind to understand the spiritual truth and guide us through darkness. He transforms transfers us from that dominion of darkness into light, which is him. The golden lampstand represents uh, Jesus then, okay? So there's this table of showbread as well, all right? Uh, The table and bread are a unit. Every Sabbath, uh, Sabbath, the priest laid 12 loaves on it, 
At the end of the week, the priests and only the priests were allowed to eat that bread. Okay, and this speaks of, of Jesus as our sustenance. He feeds us every day. He's sustaining us with his word. And then the altar of incense. On it was placed the burning coals that came from that, that the brazen altar in the courtyard where the sacrifice was made. And that is the picture of Jesus as the perfect intercessor. The incense and the hot coals then would produce this rising smoke, which was a picture of prayer rising up to the Lord. Okay, so verse three behind the second curtain was a section called the most holy place. Now we move into what is referred to as the Holy of Holies. The second veil was the veil that was torn by God when Jesus died. And the veil was designed to be a barrier between the people and God. So the Holy of Holies is the place where God then would manifest his presence. And the high priest only went there once a year on the Day of Atonement. And this is the day that the priest made sacrifice for his sin and then the sins of the people. And this is the only place where the Ark of the Covenant was, was kept, okay? Verse 4, having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tables of the covenant. So now he's talking about some of the contents, all right? So the ark was uh, made out of acacia wood. It was overlaid with gold. It was about three feet, nine inches by two feet, three inches wide, two feet high. The wood and the gold picture the humanity and the deity of Jesus, all right? Because gold's the most like precious thing and wood is just wood and so it was filled with these items and it were listed, okay? And so there's this gold jar of manna, all right? And this is the manna that was supernaturally preserved by God, right? Because manna would use, it rotten, it goes rotten within a day. So it's being supernaturally preserved by God. And it was a reminder to Israel of God's provision for them. They give them fresh manna every day to eat. And then there's Aaron's rod, that demonstrated God's choice of Aaron and his family in the priesthood, all right? And it's a very significant part of Judaism then. And then the tables of the covenant. And these are the tables uh, where the Ten Commandments that were given to Moses at Mount Sinai, right? And uh, he, he's not just holding, he doesn't have two tablets like in the pictures where it's one through five and six through ten. It, God didn't need a copy, so he's got both copies, and he's putting it in the, in the ark, right? So all this, then, okay, uh, all this is in the original, okay? The, the Hebrew author is, is recalling the original, the desert tabernacle, the tent, okay? That later, in Solomon's temple, there, the only things in the ark were the actual uh, stones, okay? The ta tablets of stone. So this is the original. He's going back all the way back to that. Verse 5, above it were the cherubim of, of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot speak in detail. Some people think that's like this big, like mysterious statement, but we'll see what it means here. So you had these two cherubim and overshadowed the mercy seat. And that's the place where the blood was sprinkled 
on the Day of Atonement to make this propitiation for the sins of the nation. Okay, the mercy seat was a slab of pure gold and it, it was fitted over the top of the Ark of the Covenant, okay? And mercy seat in Greek means removal of wrath by the offering of a sacrifice, okay? So the mercy seat was interposed between the tables of the law that was contained in the Ark by which the sinner stood condemned as a sinner and the glory of God's holy presence then and and, and the, an uncovered ark is a throne of judgment that's why we put the blood on it so of these things we cannot now speak in detail leaves an impression that he could have gone on at some length on their symbolism if he had chosen to but he cho he chooses not to because he doesn't want them the original uh audience to miss his main point here he doesn't want to go on talking about all this like the symbolism to us is important to see how it points to, to christ some like i said get too in depth and too tied up in all of that but he chooses not to go in great detail here because he doesn't want us to miss his main point that the tabernacle with all of its furnishings and the ark and everything that was in there were temporary they're earthly, and they were just there to serve a purpose to be illustrative to what was to come, the reality of Jesus and his redemptive work. They were not ends in themselves. They were designed to point to the person and the work of Jesus. So with the next uh, set of texts, then he moves into those uh, the regulations for worship in which He's going to strongly underline, again, all its temporary character. And, and these verses utilize the ideal then of the limited access to the Holy of Holies as proof that something better was to come. Verse 6, these preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. Okay, all the priests... We're going in and out and in and out, okay? They may have had the Day of Atonement on one, one day of the year, but every day, in and out of the outer tabernacle on a daily basis to perform three ritual duties, right? Every day, they tended from morning till evening to that golden lampstand to ensure that its, its lamps were kept without any interruption whatsoever, it had to always be burning. The burning of incense on the altar, of uh, of in, the altar, yeah, on the altar of incense, each morning and evening. Uh, that had to be always burning when the lamps were dressed, and then the weekly replacements on the Sabbath day of the loaves, of the table of showbread. So they're always doing all this stuff, right? So in verse seven, we get the contrast because of the word "but," right? Verse seven, but. But into the second, only the high priest goes, and he but once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Only the high priest could go, right, into the Holy of Holies. And only one day out of the, the year, all right, the Day of Atonement. And this was the one day a year where the high priest entered the Holy of Holies, and offered a sacrifice for his sins and then the sins of the people of, of Israel. 
And so notice there's a distinction of sins of the people here as well. There were willful sins, but in the sins of people committed in ignorance. It said unintentional, right? Is that what it said? Yeah, unintentional sins. Just, okay, willful sins and sins of people committing things in ignorance. It was unintentional. So now I'm going to read verses 8 through 10. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. Okay, that would have been their age then. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings. Regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. All right. In other words, it's the Holy Spirit who is responsible for the record given to us of the old covenant. Because he says the Holy Spirit indicates, right? And that's what, how he starts. The significance of the outer tabernacle being divided and separated from the inner was that the way into the presence of God had not yet been given. The Jews were continually reminded by the physical presence of that tabernacle that they were not allowed to enter into the presence of God. Had to have this high priest. So as the first section is still standing, it, he says, uh, it, it could be better translated while the first tab tabernacle still has any standing. Because there is a temple at this point. And... But all that represented was all these things, but also the Old Covenant. So while the Old Covenant was still in force, as long as the Old Covenant still in effect, men did not have access to the full presence of God. So it's the word symbolic, all right? It means a parable. Uh, it means a religious play, an object lesson. The whole Old Covenant system with its rituals, its ceremonies, the priesthood, tabernacle, all of that was an object lesson. An object lesson that could not perfect the conscience, it says. And we've already seen this flaw with the Old Covenant, but it could not bring perfection to the people who were involved. The Old Testament saint could never have the sense of forgiveness that you and I have today. All right? That's why I've said before, there's no reason for us to pray David's prayer created me a clean heart. We've been given a new heart. He was in the old covenant. We're in the new. Okay. When we believe today that Jesus died for our sins, we put our trust in him. God gives us faith. We are forgiven for all eternity. But an Old Testament saint he could never have the sense of eternal forgiveness because he was constantly having to offer sacrifices for his sin. So his conscience was never assured that he was fully forgiven by God. It was always a reminder that he was a sinner. So the old covenant could not provide internal cleansing nor perfection because in verse 10 it says it only considered uh, or consisted of physical activity and physical activity cannot provide the inner spiritual cleansing that we've been given in the new covenant this is why people who believe that 
you have to, like, you have to, you have to be baptized. You have to uh, intentionally do good works or perform some other ritual in order to be saved. They're operating under an old covenant standard. They are practicing physical activity in an effort to be forgiven. When all it takes is faith alone and Christ alone. That's it. So the old covenant was not uh, to be in, in, in practice forever. It was only to be used until God brought a time of reformation, it says. When the new covenant was completed and fully in place, and then the old temple would be destroyed and its worship would cease. Now, this happened in 70 AD, okay, when that happened. So, there, and there are, just in case, like the different interpretations when it says the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. This is like 65 AD. So, there's different interpretations on that, but the full is because the temple was still standing. There were still priests. They were still trying to, to they had rejected Christ. They're still trying to do all these things. It's going to be destroyed. And then the, the old covenant's gone. The new covenant is fully consummated. And the fullness then of the presence of God is available. It was available then. And it, it gets a little tricky. That's why I didn't go into it. <laughs> so I'll shut up. Okay. So again, then we come to this, this word, but... Right, which which shows contrast. Almost done. Okay, in this contrast, verse eleven. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, even through the greater and more perfect tents, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. And he entered once for all. Okay, and then we'll get to that. So the point then is to show the superiority of Jesus to the old covenant system. He said, in effect, he says, why would you want to go back to an inferior type when you have the reality, the fullness, the substance has come? So in verses one through ten, we had all that they had the shadow, and then now here we have the reality. But Christ appeared, right? The whole situation becomes altered at that point. The greater, more perfect tabernacle. It's the first contrast. Two tabernacles, the earthly one in verse 1 and the perfect one in verse 11. Now some, some want to try to say that this is Christ's body here in verse 11. But uh, it clearly reads, not made with hands and not of this creation, which should make it obvious it's not his body. And then to those who say that it is, they're calling into question his, the hypostatic union, his, his humanity, because he's human and, and he's God. So it, it's not referring to Christ's body. It's referring to heaven, which some will, will go, go and say, they're now talking about the actual tabernacle. There's a tabernacle in heaven, the Holy of Holies, where God sets, and that's where, where Christ sets now, at the right hand of God. That Christ appeared as a high priest, right? In, in there. So 
Heaven is is the throne room. It's the dwelling place of God. The tabernacle was a type to teach us or to show us about that. Jesus ministers for us in heaven, in that throne room, at God's right hand. We're invited to come to this place to receive help, to meet our every need, and to worship the Lord. So we end in verse 12 with the second contrast between the blood of the Levitical sacrifices and the blood of Jesus, where he says he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of of the blood of of goats, goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. All right, so he entered once for all. Now, there is... There is a, like, when did this happen, right? <laughs> when did he do this? You know, um, I think it was, you know, I don't know. I can't tell you when it happened. But there are some. You remember when on the day of his resurrection, Mary sees him first? And she's like, Rabbi, Rabbi, which is Raboni. <clears throat> and, and he says, like, don't touch me. Some translations say don't touch me, but he says don't cling to me and go tell, go tell my brothers I have ascended. Some people say he ascended then. And then there's the ascension that takes place after he was on earth for all those days. I don't know. I'm just letting you guys know that. So <laughs> I don't know. I've not looked into it in depth, but I, I could also just see it as... Don't don't just don't just stay here and cling to me and just want to be around me right now because we have stuff to do. We've got work to do. I could see it in that type of language too. Like, no, like go, go tell them I'm risen. But there is that, okay? Now other people say stuff that's completely not biblical at all, that he went to hell and was tortured and then he whooped the devil's behind and then he wrote and all that like no 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 like he didn't do that at all because he clearly defeated the devil on the cross and the devil would never have power over him anyway to do that (laughs) so by his own blood all right this is clearly different from the levitical priests who used the blood of bulls and goats christ made a personal sacrifice of himself with his own blood he was the priest. He was the sacrifice. And, it's in, and this is in direct contrast then in the activity of the high priest of the old covenant. Remember, the, the author has said you are a former priest now. Because the high priest of the old covenant had to enter that earthly holy of holies once a year to offer sacrifices for the sins of his people and his own. But Jesus, he only had to enter once. It says once. That's it, because his work is eternally completed. Jesus Christ's one sacrifice covered everything. Therefore, he obtained eternal redemption for us. Jesus paid the sin debt. He died for us. The sinner, having placed his faith in Jesus, is liberated forever from the condemnation and sin's penalty. When Christ died, we died with him. We know this from from Paul uh, as well. And our redemption is eternal. We are redeemed for for time and eternity. (laughs) We can never be lost in the phrase securing an eternal redemption. It's in this past tense indicating that it's a completed action. 
He has secured it. So Christ paid the necessary price for us with his death. And therefore, when he said it's finished, it was finished. And this is the reason he entered God's presence once for all. All right, Jesus, by his outpoured blood, he procured for us humanity, uh, not just not probation, but a salvation, which equals to eternal life. And then we'll, we'll get more into that, more of that contrast next week because of the conscience and being cleansed and, and things like that. But I figured that was quite a bit for, for, one, for one sitting. So. <laughs>